Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Adam Forshaw of the podcast, neat, tidy and with a whole load of press resistance. And I'm joined by the Rafinha free kick of the podcast, Darren Driver, probably unintentional, but hey, who's counting? And finally, the Brendan Rogers of the podcast, All Stats Aren't We's very own small man syndrome. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. Um a lot more uh, positive this week, which is nice. Not having to desperately scramble for balance to uh, try and stop myself from just declaring doom. And a man who is always scrambling to try and find balance, Darren Driver. <laughs> Darren, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been on a review podcast and not been in the, the last slot, which is which is really nice. So I'm glad Hobbsy took the heat this morning. Um, I don't know if Hobbsy is a small man or not, because I've never seen him in person. So Fairly short. Fairly short. I, yeah, okay. I did. I did get that impression. To be fair, um, but but, uh, but other than that, I'm 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 good. Thanks, John. John, your camera's not on. It'd be really nice to see your sunny disposition again. If you could stick that on, that'd be lovely. Uh, but I'm I'm good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it was good to hang out with you yesterday. Indeed, uh, we had a, a wonderful day in general. Not just because of the football. It was a, a lovely a lovely day anyway, wasn't it? Nice to wander down to Elland Road and sit in the not rain and and watch our team be not. Bad. So yeah, all in all, good day was had yesterday by all. Anyway, let's get into the actual football side of things rather than the sunshine and the, and the nice weather and the good company uh, and talk about the game yesterday. So we'll start off with a game summary. So as everyone will know, we drew yesterday at home with Leicester. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, Leicester surprised us a little bit, I thought, with a 4-3-3, which meant that we had to sort of fettle a bit of a 4-1-4-1 out of a formation that was probably meant to be a 3-5-2. Um, and as we suggested might happen in the previous episode, we saw that the back three was pushed across and that meant Pascal played as a left back. Um and uh, I think you've, someone's included a, a, a tweet here with a quote from Bielsa about 
about Strauk playing left back. So I'll just read that out. So the quote is, he's a very hardworking man in the mental and physical assimilation of a new position. Throughout the week, he was looking for solutions in a new position. So it does sound as though the, that possibility was there. And we did we did talk at length about this, um, much to the chagrin of, of Joe Wayman, about about how the, the uh, formation <laughs> might move around uh, depending on how uh, Leicester approached this game. So yeah, um, that, w- that was interesting. The other big news was that Adam Forshaw started the game as one of the eights, which is something that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time. Um, and it was, I think, Graham Smith who noted that this was the first league start for Adam Forshaw for about, I think it was 799 days, so not quite 800, but uh, a big old ch- chunk of time. Um, other than that, Rodrigo played the other eight and Dan James started up front. In the first half, the game was pretty transitional. Both teams were trying to get forward quickly as possible in wide uh, areas and it sort of meant, made the game pretty open. Neither team was really doing their utmost to, to fill wide areas and slow the opposition down. Um, I felt that in the first half, Leeds turned the ball over quite a lot in dangerous areas and there's a few situations that we were lucky not to see Leicester turn them into pretty dangerous chances. Um, our goal came from a set piece, which snuck in at the back post from a Rafinha free kick and then obviously Leicester equalised immediately through Harvey Barnes. And I think being at the game, I didn't realise quite how long, how quick that that uh, turnover was because obviously when you're in the stadium you have a, a little bit of kerfuffle after the goal with celebrations and stuff uh, but watching it back yesterday very much just hit the ball long flick on ball to Harvey Barnes goal um, so yeah uh, that's becoming something of a recurring feature in our recent games um, but we, I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, then in the second half it felt like Leicester were trying to build up a little bit more it looked like they were trying to draw us out to try and cr- maybe create a little bit more space at the back to, to attack Um but and, and it felt like as a result of that, the first half dynamic was re- re- reversed a little bit. Uh, I felt in, in our pressing, we didn't really let them do that. And it meant that we turned the ball over quite a bit in, in their half. Um, Leicester were very narrow in the 4-3-3 and that gave Leeds a lot of license to get forward in wide areas, get Rafinha one-on-one. Um, and, and also, um, I, I know Dan James and Jack Harrison on the left were, were almost left to be one-on-one versus their respective players as well. Um, Leicester did score from a corner, but it was disallowed for offside in the second half. Uh, but after a, a fair period of sustained pressure from Leeds around 70 minutes Brendan Rodgers switched to a 3-5-2 formation and the game settled down a little bit from that point onwards Tyler Roberts was brought on as a centre forward and Charlie Cresswell subbed on for Adam Forshaw late on and the game ran out into what was probably a fairish draw I think um, the F I think the XG was in our favour um, but I've, I've, we, we are still to wait for the um, FB ref data to come through so um, I'll, I'll hang fire on that but I'm pretty sure we'll be ahead on that um, but I did feel as though Leicester did generate some situations which they didn't convert into shots which could have been maybe a bit more dangerous than they were so um, that's my summary of the game uh, but enough of me over to you guys in the interrogation so this is the interrogation where I ask you guys five questions about the game um, we'll start off with a nice simple question Darren our leads back uh, it's too early to say that Leeds are back. I think. I think that they, there were certainly lots of encouraging signs in the performance yesterday of things that that we've been missing. Um, some ability to build up through the midfield being one of them. Um, the, the midfield press working more effectively. Uh, being another. Um, I thought there were. We'll come on to talk about the second half. Um, a little bit more later. But but I, I definitely felt there were signs of more of what I expect from Leeds, uh, particularly in the second half, in the way that we supported the wide build-up on the right-hand side. Um, 
and yeah, so I, although although it was it was a creditable performance, um, I didn't think Leicester were much good, and I didn't think Leicester were really um, took advantage of the situations that they created, as you as you quite rightly said, John. Um, but overall, I felt it was definitely a creditable performance and definitely our best performance of the season so far, in my view. So, so definitely a step in the right direction, um, more than the Wolves game, which showed some signs of life. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly, quietly optimistic that we might be able to carry some of those things through into future performances, um, depending on how the opposition play against us to a degree, I guess. I wouldn't really disagree with any of that. I think the next three games... Um... After the break, we'll we'll see a little bit more of whether we are back. Um, but I will say uh, I've been impressed with the response uh, after the Southampton game, which I think was really the bottom of the barrel in terms of performances. Um, then Wolves, we we were a lot better. Um, Norwich, not great, but got the result where we needed to get the result. And then yesterday, um, I, I said before the game, I'd be really happy with the point. And um, ultimately, the performance left me thinking we might have had three. So I, I can't say bad things about that, although I know we're going to talk in a, in a minute about maybe why that kind of thing happens. Why were we a bit better against Wolves and Leicester? Some of what they do did does play into our hands, so I'm slightly hesitant to say we're back, but we're certain like we've taken steps in in the last few games, and I don't think we can really be back without Bamford and Ailing. But um, mm. that that was that was way more what I want to see. And if we can play like that more often, we should be able to get away from danger without having to worry too much about other teams. We can just worry about ourselves. Yeah, and I've always been I've always been fairly optimistic about our chances of not really being in any difficulty this season and I guess performances like that um are, are fairly indicative of the fact that that's probably going to be true. I suppose the thing for me is just that um we we tend to make sort of sweeping generalizations based on results at the moment. Um if we look at it in terms of the league results, yeah, things have been fine really since the Southampton game. Uh, I think the Norwich result was probably lucky in in our favour. Um, but then I, I suppose there was the Arsenal game as well, where we played okay in the first half and then had a pretty poor second half as well. And it just feels a, a little bit sort of up and down at the moment. You're not never really entirely sure what, what you're going to get, which is why I would be a little bit hesitant to just be like, yeah, Leeds are back now because off the back of one performance. Um, yeah, that's what I mean about the character thing, I think. I think we're like, we're scrambling to be better. And we like, the the players are giving everything that they've got to be better but we are still lacking some some quality and yeah pat is basically a a big part of me thinking that it can go up another level just because of what he brings yeah i think you mentioned yesterday that we've sorted out the midfield issue only to have created a striker (laughs) issue so um, i'm sure we'll talk about that at some point but um you also mentioned in your in your answer to the previous question that that something has to be said about the um, opposition's approach to games this season in terms of um, when we look good and when we look bad. So, for example, the the Wolves game, I thought we looked fine in because we all sat deep and they didn't really make it hard for us to progress the ball. Um, so I, I suppose I, my question then would be, you know, why is it that there's teams like Leicester and Wolves that we look okay against and then teams like that you wouldn't expect that we would look bad against like Norwich and Southampton who we do look bad against like what 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 do you think the 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 underlying explanation for that is and why is it that's that, that or, or how much are Leeds performances dependent upon the opposition's approach this season Josh yeah I, I think they are 
um, and I think we did um, talk about this a bit last week in that um, Norwich gave Llorente no time on the ball uh, early on. They really tried to hammer him in, in possession. And um, it's funny because Llorente started the game <laughs> like terribly <laughs> yesterday. Like he he looked like in full on clown car mode at the start of the game with that um, chance that he, he gave away in the pretty much the first minute uh, and then they nearly got in behind him when it w- it was that I, I would say fortuitous offside situation um, with Vardy um, but in possession they apart from that moment in the first minute they they allowed him time on the ball um, and I, I think yeah that pressing you mentioned I think John you mentioned that there were turnovers and I think they were but I think they sort of just came from us being sloppy rather than Leicester kind of forcing them um it felt like they just kind of sat in a bit of a mid block but wanted to leave um basically just leave their front three high up the pitch to hit on counters Uh, and I, I don't feel it worked for them very well although that they had those moments where it almost worked but they just they couldn't quite put it all together. Um, yeah, and it was like that with Wolves as well, wasn't it? They they didn't press the back line and, and so we could progress and we could get the ball into uh, more dangerous areas. I think things like uh, what we saw with Rafinha and Dallas uh, yesterday, that was a bit of just us maybe just putting it together, being a bit better than normal. Um, although maybe they they could have tried to counteract that if like, Barnes came back a bit, but he stayed he stayed high up. Um, so we were able to get those combinations between Dallas and Rafinha and get in down the right a lot of times. Um, but yeah, I, I do think they're dependent. Like Our performances are quite dependent upon opposition approach, but also I think when it clicks, we can be good against anyone. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see how we all play against... Brighton if we can possibly click so I don't think we ever have although I do take the um I do take the point that Brighton have stopped us from doing that uh, in in Potter's um approach against us so that's a that's an interesting one coming up soon to look at can we actually be different against Brighton and effective this time around yeah, I think I mentioned just before we went on air that the, the, there does seem to be a correlation between managers who are sort of happy to to almost throw up their textbook and say, well, we're not going to try and do what we usually do in terms of uh, positive approach to the game and we're just going to try and neutralise Leeds. And obviously Graham Potter is a, a name that you mentioned there that he's, he seems to be one of the managers who's, who's, who's done that. Um, and then other managers, I think like whatever else people think of them, managers like Ralph Hasenhutl and, and Daniel Farker are smart managers um, who are maybe hamstrung a little bit by the quality the players that they have but both of their performances you watch those back and you can see how both teams were were very careful in pulling leads man marking around and creating space to to then attack in a way that I didn't think Leicester was as well so um, Darren what do you what do you make of this whole thing yeah I think it's really interesting because if you think about the teams who really try and impose their style of play on a game um generally the only one that's really uh, the, the ones that are really able to consistently achieve it are probably Man City and Liverpool and we try to do that I think in every game but we don't necessarily have the the quality of player to 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 pull that off and to make sure that we are able to dictate the stylistic ebb and flow of every game in the way that those two teams do um so I think I think to a degree it, it is to our credit that we keep trying to do that 
Um, and and you're right in the sense that, like, for example, yesterday, Leicester, in, defensively, their main priority yesterday was clearly stopping Rafinha from playing. So when, once we got into their back third, they were making sure that they were able to overload him, that, they were, that he wasn't able to get space and create chances. So from that point of view, the way that they played was quite smart and in the sense that they knew that the chances were that there would be an, a, an opportunity for them to hit us in behind and that nearly worked for them on a number of occasions. Um, but... But that does mean that then we're we're able to kind of dictate the play in, in in our back third and the middle third to a degree that we're not normally able to do. So I, I think, but I think that's true for I think it's true for every club really that that they're on that their that that their level of performance is dependent on how the opposition sets up. I think the one thing that's different with us is because we've got such a defined style. I think teams have found ways to counter the way that we play specifically um, in in perhaps ways that other clubs um, might. Might you know, might not be required to do that for Villa, for example, who who are probably going to play similarly, but in quite a um, quite a normal way. Whereas Leeds' outlier style means that you have to find specific solutions to to deal with us. On my watching of the of the that game yesterday, Leicester had a better half in the first half and then struggled a bit in the second half. Darren, what did you think changed between the first and second half? There were two things that I that I think changed um, in in terms of what Leeds did. Um, so I think I think Leicester did try and move the ball from their centre backs more often, and I think that gave Leeds uh, press in the top third and the middle third an opportunity to in- engage in a way that we just hadn't been able to do in the first half so it felt like Leicester were quite content to move the ball around their centre backs and then try feed it into the midfield and then with Forshaw and Phillips in that zone they're always there's always a good chance that they're going to be able to press and get the ball back in a, in a dangerous position so I think that, that happened quite a lot and I think the other thing that happened was that we tried to get more support to Rafinha in in that top third so I think I think Rodrigo and Dallas particularly tried to get around Rafinha when he had the ball so they had some option and not just Leicester players surrounding him um, and that obviously meant that that drew more people over to Leicester's left and left uh, James and Harrison even more free than they had been in the first half now whether whether James and Harrison were able to take advantage of that or not I guess is, is a different matter but it did feel like tactically that was something more like what I'm used to seeing or w- one of the stylistic hallmarks that you would that you would associate with Leeds is that trying to um, overload on one side and then isolate on the other. And it was nice to see that come back, uh, which I only noticed on the rewatch this morning. I didn't get that in the stadium yesterday. I don't feel that Leicester were that good in the first half or that, like, I think they were, I think they looked like taking the lead in maybe the first half an hour, first 25 minutes, maybe. Um, I don't know if I've got that timing right, but maybe at the very start of the game, I thought, oh, they're, they're going to score basically because of a bit of panic at the back from us. Um, but then I I kind of felt like we took over and deserved the lead. Um, and it was, yeah, incredibly frustrating that they just scored immediately afterwards. Um, but I, d- I definitely agree that they, they were getting those um, moments where you thought they would get a big chance, um, but they, they didn't really get one. And maybe that's just because of their own sort of failings rather than um us really stopping them like there was that moment where I think Tielemans played it through to Lookman but um Strauch just managed to get back and nick it away from him uh and then Tielemans had a chance himself I think Lookman played it through to him uh, and he that was their one good shot that I mean it missed by miles but I mean it shot from a decent kind of position in the box um other than the goal, which is just sensational, um, I, I felt that 
we had a, a few of those nearly moments ourselves. There was one that I noted down where um, where Rafinha and, and Dallas uh, played one of those little combinations. Rafinha, I think, stuck it through um, through the legs of Pereira and then was away. And then he played the ball down the line for Rodrigo and his cross came in and Schmeichel had to run out of his goal and kick it away before James could get there. And that was one of those moments where I was just like, oh, if, if we just had Bamford there, because I just kind of felt that was the exact kind of cross where you want Bamford running across the man at, at the near post. And, and James's movement is just, even though he's obviously quick, I think his speed of thought in the box is not the same and his and his movement is not as sharp. Uh, so they were always likely to deal with those kinds of moments, whereas Bamford just gives you something completely different. Yeah, James was in front of Schmeichel for that as well. Though, like, if if it had just been that second quicker in the head, he, he would have been able to nick a touch on it. Yet, I honestly thought that was like obviously we didn't get a shot, but there, I was like thinking that's actually potentially our biggest chance. You then go into the second half and you have the Harrison horror miss, but. Um, that that there, I just felt like if he if he if he could have got a toe on that, that's a goal. Um, but yeah, obviously we were then sort of stronger and more dominant in the, in the early part of the second half uh, after that first minute where <laughs> where we nearly gave them a goal from I don't know Cooper and Melier just having a complete meltdown. Um, and we it was a lot more transitional in the first half, as you say. Um, so I, I guess I'm not really disagreeing, but I'm, I'm also saying I didn't feel like they were like well on top or anything in the first half. No, no, no. I don't think it. I don't think it was uh, anything like that mismatched. But yeah, it just felt as though when when we were sort of in the first half, it was very much a transitional end to end game. Um, neither team was particularly worried about neutralising the opposition's threat, and um, it, as a result of that, it felt as though you know some some potentially big chances were or could have been created um and yeah i just sort of felt that off the back of as you've said a few leads blunders defensively in build up um i i just sort of felt that they maybe had the slightly uh, better chances there and then i was just a little bit surprised then that they went into the second half and were like right let's try and really build up a little bit more here um and and it went so badly um for so long <laughs> for them it was like a 20 minute period of sustained although it felt i mean it felt a lot more sustained in the stadium than it did on the rewatch um for me but it still felt as though it was obvious that that Leeds were able to have their way and and Leicester were doing nothing those centre-backs are are bad for that like and and Evans that is that is not the 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 two that you want to be trying to build up through um when you've got a team pressing you in the way that Leeds were in in that half I'm surprised they didn't just try and and go for the wings yeah, but I mean, it definitely worked for them in the first half, like roughly. Right, let's move on to question four. Again, lots of possession in this game, um, lots of and lots of dangerous transitions. I think it's worth saying, um, particularly as you said in the second half down the right hand side, uh, it felt as though Rafinha could just get in in behind the 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 the, the fullback quite regularly, and then the he was obviously on the centre back, the outside centre back when they Leicester moved to a back three. Um, but not too many clear cut chances. We mentioned the the Harrison chance, which I think is where a big bulk of our xG will have come from uh, because it was so close to the game, uh, the goal. Um, and again, it'll be interesting to see what S, uh, uh, Stats Bomb do with that because they do take into account like the height of the ball and stuff like that, um, which may reduce it a little bit. But um, not, other than that, with, there was what R- Rodrigo 
Rodrigo chance at the back post. Um, there was a Calvin header from a corner. Um, and beyond that, not really anything in the way of, of really big chances. So, um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with yeah you on this Josh. Do you still have worries about Leeds chance creation? A bit, but yesterday was was better at the same time. So I do I do feel that we should have made more of the dominance that we had in that period in the second half and that's where I'm frustrated about our uh our two that we kind of had on the left slash up front in in James and and Harrison felt like uh, as Darren was saying we did manage to do that overload and isolate thing uh, and getting the ball out to their side quite a lot and just so often they just couldn't produce the quality um there's that that thing that I've noticed with with the two of them is they just get the ball stuck under their feet and then they can't get it out quickly enough to get a clean strike away at goal or the kind of cross that that they need to deliver so then they sort of run into players and that that is frustrating me at the moment but at the same time I I think if you just had one of them there and Bamford in the middle, then I think maybe we do create a, a chance that's big enough to to win that game. And Bamford is is my hope for uh, our chance creation going up. Not just because uh, um, I'm thinking, oh, he's a creative player, although I think he got a good number of assists last season. But he just gives you a, something, a presence in the six-yard box that we don't have. And if you've got that, then you're more likely to get good chances. Darren's one of the things that we've talked a lot about on this channel is is Leeds getting into wide areas and being able to generate more and more dangerous chances. Um, do you feel, feel as though we were doing that a little bit more yesterday? Um, I think we were trying to. I think we were, I think we were definitely trying to get into the right areas and 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 do the yeah do the sort of play that we, that we need to you know to kind of get players in in and around the the six you know the six yard box. Um, I think I think Hobbs is right in that. That Bamford is a big miss uh, in terms of his ability to kind of dictate where the where the final ball goes in a way that none of our other players seem to be able to do, um, which I think is is a, is a big miss. Um, but yeah, James and Harrison down that side, um, and I know I know James played up front, but but um, for most of it, but he was he was pulling to the left a lot. Um, it's just it's just a big concern really that that for for the amount of dominant possession that that we had. You know, and for the amount of space that, that that both of those players were given, that they weren't really able to to generate anything, and and because Rafinha be- ends up being so heavily marked now because he is our primary threat, um, it means that his his opportunities to kind of really um really influence the game are going to be more limited than 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 you would want. So we really need somebody from that side to really step up and start creating chances, um, and. Yeah, I hope that something clicks for one of them and, and, and that is the kind of the range that we're in. I hope that something clicks rather than kind of being able to say with any confidence that I think that it will. And it wouldn't be an all stats on we podcast if we didn't talk about Adam Forshaw. Obviously the yesterday's game was a I think a really a real boon for uh, a lot of us who are big Adam Forshaw fans. I think he played eighty five minutes uh, and looked Premier League ready. So Darren, how much of a difference did Adam Forshaw make yesterday? Ah, it was just wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah, he he made a made such a big difference. Um, he made makes a big difference to us in possession because he's always so neat and tidy. He's always so focused in the way he uses the ball. He's he's good good with the tempo uh, in, and when to when to move the ball quickly, when to hold onto it, and, and wait for people to to, to get into um, more useful positions. Um, 
he I, I noticed on the rewatch actually a couple of times him dictate even when he wasn't in position to get the ball he was telling the other players whether to speed it up whether to slow it down and I just don't think we've got anyone that that, that has that kind of ability to to play make in that way um other than other than him the other thing is that in in terms of his press he's really intelligent isn't he so he knows when to get close he knows when to snap in he knows when to to stand off and try and dictate where the pass is going to go so yeah he's he he is you know, for all Rad Rizani's tweet was irritating and annoying and probably ill-advised, he is exactly the sort of player that we've needed all along. Um, and I think a start at this stage of the season is far more than any of us hoped f- to to get from him throughout the course of the season. I think the best that we were hoping was that he might have some fairly lengthy sub-appearances towards, you know, the midpoint back end of the season. So it's an absolute joy to see him back. He's he's a lovely, lovely player and, yeah, precisely the sort of player that we need in the team. So let's hope he can stay fit and, and continue to, to influence games in the way that he did yesterday. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, just on the Radrizzani tweet, we had a lot of people on the Twitter channel yesterday just sort of saying, oh, you know, does this prove that Radrizzani was right? And I think it's worth just saying, you know, there's a lot of timelines where Adam Forshaw doesn't make the contribution that he's already made this season. Um, Just because he's ended up being right doesn't mean there wasn't a huge possibility that he might have been wrong. Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, he's he's played 80, 85 minutes as and 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 I sincerely hope that he stays fit and lasts throughout the whole season. But that timeline that you're talking about still exists. That possible alternative timeline still exists. Yeah. So he he will get knocks because he's always got knocks as a as a Leeds player. But even before this particular injury, which has set him back all this time, he's he's always got groin injuries, done a hamstring here, like 
broke his foot one time. Obviously, that's like if you break your foot, that's very different to muscle injuries. But he just seems to be a player that picks up injuries. So I, I think like putting a lot of stock in him being able to deliver lots throughout the season is is a huge risk to take. But I was I was delighted with how he played yesterday. Um, if anyone follows me on Twitter, I've I've been <laughs> making my feelings very clear about that. But I think a huge thing was. Um, Hit just angles that he creates, and I, I spoke, um, I spoke on the pod uh, last week about how I felt we just missed that link between Phillips and Rodrigo. You you have a chasm between the two uh, if you don't have a player like Forshaw there to kind of knit it all together. And I, I think um, it just looked a lot more balanced yesterday with with uh, with Forshaw and Rodrigo and Phillips all together. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that three will uh, will play in in a, against different opponents. Um, but I think it worked really really well. And if we can keep Forshaw in the team for a while and and have some semblance of a, of a real midfield, um, then then I think that will really help us because I I have felt that our lack of a midfield has has been a huge factor in our in our early season struggles. So. You should have said Hubsy. right enough from me time for you guys to bring topics to the conversation so let's start off with uh josh what did you want to talk about just wanted to mention strout a little question is is he the next dallas in that is bielsa gonna just start using him to cover for any defensive absences now um although he's adept at that so he's he's now played um, obviously his natural position of left centre back. He's played right centre back. He's played left back. He's played defensive midfield. He's he's almost played as an eight as well. Um, is that beneficial to him? Uh, just getting minutes and playing wherever, sort of becoming a more rounded player, or is it better for him to just be the first choice left centre back, which I think a lot of us kind of think that he should be? and getting minutes in that position, which would be his long-term position. I don't necessarily think that that moving him around and using him to cover those positions is necessarily doing him any harm. He, he, he was very creditable at left back yesterday. Um, mm, and, did and, well. Yeah, did, did, did really well defensively. He joined in the attack and although, you know, there were a couple of opportunities where, where he had chances to deliver but wasn't able to do it and then I think there were other occasions where players around him were not giving him the ball when he, when he was in a better crossing position than they were. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think he, he, he did really well. Um, my feelings on Strauch are well known. I think, I think he's the best centre-back at the club and in terms of the, in terms of the team... I, I would like to see him play centre back every week. Um, I can obviously see that it's an advantage that he's got got that ability, and that that you know playing in the midfield and playing at left back will round him out as a player. But I don't think he's a player who's particularly crying out to be rounded out. I think he's already pretty rounded. He's 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 good at most most of the things that you would want um want a player to be. Um, apart from heading, bizarrely, there was, yesterday there was a really strange occasion when it, what's the name of the kid that was playing at right back for Leicester, who's about five foot six? Ricardo uh, Pereira. Uh, Rick, Ricardo Pereira, that's right, yeah. Managed to beat Strauch in a header, which was a bit a bit odd. Um but that's that's an aside. Um I, I yeah I want to see him play at, at centre back. Having said that, although Cooper had a few bizarre moments yesterday um, as he as he did 
as he has done in a couple of the recent games. I don't think Cooper's particularly doing anything which warrants him dropping out of the team for Strauch if we're playing the 4-1-4-1. So I think it might just be a case of um, of Strauch waiting and biding his time. Um, but then even, you see, even if Cooper does get dropped to the bench in a hypothetical where he does get dropped to the bench and then we have an injury, injury at left back, well, what's going to happen then is that Cooper's going to come back in and Strauch's going to get shunted to left back in any case. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether that's any useful conclusions in there, but but I'm just glad to see him getting lots of first team minutes, basically, because I think he's I think he's a really fantastic player. Mm. Yeah, I think I don't know. The, we had a few questions again about Strauch as, as a left back being a legitimate option, and I just kind of think that I have two responses to this. Why I think it's a bad idea. One is I don't think that Strauch is a very good left back. Like I think he was fine yesterday. I think he did what he what he needed to do yesterday. Um, he didn't he didn't necessarily leave us in any situations where you might not want to be left in as a left back. Although there's a few times when he does he does get beaten for pace in behind by by nippy players. He, he's not very good going forward. I don't think. Like he's not the sort of when you when you when you, the the sort of profile of fullback slash wingback that you're bringing in is someone like Junior Firpo, who's who's obviously like he, he able to get forward, able to put balls in the box, able to to invert etc. Uh, and and is a, a sort of very classic attacking fullback. You don't want to necessarily fall back on on Pascal. And and the other reason I think it's bad is because if Pascal's playing left back, it means that our other options are injured or out. So. Um, I, 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 in terms of the question itself about whether or not it's a bad thing, I, I kind of think it's a bad thing because you're just wasting what is an elite talent. Um, and I, I, whether or not that's a bad thing for him psychologically or developmentally, I don't know. I don't. I, I suspect I'm with Darren, and I don't think it it does. But it it does seem as though we're, we're we've got an elite player one of the one of the few elite, elite players in our squad and we're we're sort of just using him as a bit part player at the moment uh, and and that feels less than ideal to me but what's your take on it Josh I, I think I I agree that he he ultimately was the right choice <clears throat> there yesterday um perhaps we could have uh, kept Dallas at left back and started Drame um Bielsa obviously uh decided not to go with that uh, although I I think it was because he was thinking that it would be a three at the back but he'd obviously as we've touched on already he'd obviously prepared for the chance that he might have to switch to to left back um and I think he physically dominated Lookman and and kept us high up the pitch uh, in the way that he did that um and so I think it worked well but ultimately I want to see him play left center back as many minutes as he possibly can um and uh, I, I'm someone who doesn't mind Cooper. I know the fa- the fan base pretty divided on on Cooper, but I think he did some disastrous things yesterday. Obviously, I've mentioned uh, that uh, Lorente was in clown car mode at the start of the game, but Cooper was in clown car mode in the second half. I, I would say with them, um, like he started the game with giving uh, started the half giving Melier a back pass, which Melier didn't expect. Uh, I th- I think we were pretty lucky that that wasn't an own goal. Uh, and then that touch where he sort of lets it go across him, and in the same moment he he could then get himself sent off of like a two footed lunge. Uh, and then they then they nearly score like that. That would have just I don't know how he would come back from that because that that would have been a really horrendous moment for Leeds to lose the game uh, when we felt like we probably should win the game. Whereas I, I, I think Strauch is, is the one that if everyone's fit, I'm picking Strauch at, at left centre back. Um, but as you say, at the moment, he's, he's needed in multiple different 
different roles, but he will take that position off off Cooper, be it this season or next, he will. Yeah, I guess the, the, the interesting thing this season is we've not seen any Cooper injuries, which is pretty unheard of in Cooper's career. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you almost said there that you hoped it would happen. You no, I didn't, I didn't, no, I didn't. I you didn't. fought yourself. I, didn't. <laughs> I, I, I like Liam Cooper, but I also am Pascal's biggest fan, so, you know. <laughs> right, uh, Darren, what is it that you wanted to talk about? I want to just sort of dig into Jack Harrison a little bit. Don't we all? <laughs> I just want to kind of think about what, what's wrong with him, because... He's he's having an awful time at the moment, and and I do really feel for him. But he has improved throughout his time at Leeds, but he just can't seem to do anything right at the moment. Um, and his decision making and execution both seems to be way way off. And he he looks like the kind of hesitant, everyone stands still while they decide what to do. Jack Harrison from from season one at the moment, um, from season one of Jack Harrison. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to have a get your guys' sense on on what you think it is that's going wrong and what what. The possible, I don't know, solutions to to reinvigorating or reinvigorating him or getting something out of him, like what we saw last season and and at times in the promotion season too. I think he's hugely missing Bamford. Um, Bamford is his target, so he's. I think Harrison played really, really well last season, and he did well in the in the year that we we came up. Um, but his game is very simple, and it's pretty much get the ball out of your feet and stick across into the box for, for Bamford to attack. And last season, he, he added some more goal threat in there that wasn't just basically picking up the bits and pieces at the back post, which is kind of how he scored the vast majority of his goals uh, the season before. But I think he really got full of confidence last season because early on he did the right things and he got a few assists for Bamford. And he just, I think he's very much a confidence player and uh we yeah i think that's the reason why he's returned to that sort of bad version of himself where he's he's looking up wanting to make that cross and it's the ball is not on because there's not a player there uh and then he's like well should i go inside and he's not very strong at going inside because he's got to come onto his right foot when he plays on the left he's a lot uh, on the right he's a lot happier to do that because basically he'll come inside and try and take a shot and you saw saw that a little bit early on against Arsenal, um, but uh, in yeah in the game yesterday, once he comes inside, it's sort of like oh no yeah I don't know what to do now. And and he I think he wanted an overlapping run uh, yesterday, which never came because um, because Strauch, uh is not that kind of player as as we know already. So I I think. I think he's missing the right players to play with. Uh, and he just, yeah, he needs something to happen for him to boost his confidence again. Um, I, I mean, I would say he just needs one to hit him and go in, but apparently even that goes <laughs> over the bar. Um, so, yeah. The other thing I would add is that he's essentially been replaced by Dan James. And I think that is probably impacting his his approach as well. When when they're essentially playing the same position and James is getting started all the time now. So I, I think he's probably psychologically impacted by that as well in that he, he knows he has to perform to a high high level. And even if he does, he might not be getting picked anyway. I don't know if either of you think that's a, a valid reason for why he might be a little bit off as well. I think him and Helder Costa seem to have n- not responded well to when a player comes in who challenges their role. 
Um, so we saw that with Costa. He was he used to be the first choice right winger. Rafinha came in and suddenly he was like, oh, this player. And instead of being like, well, I'm going to play better than him and keep my place in the team, it's like he sort of, Costa seemed to almost hide. Uh, and and um, if you flip that and look at how Bamford played when he was put under pressure from Nketiah and looking like he was about to lose his place, suddenly then he went on a run of goals although he found that hard to sustain throughout the 1920 season sorry yeah the 1920 season and then last season Rodrigo gets brought in for a club record fee and and the media is all you know that Bamford won't be good enough for the Premier League he knows even the fan base are, are kind of thinking that and his response is to score like six goals in like the first four league games or whatever however he started last season with a flurry of goals you're not seeing that from Harrison and you certainly didn't see that from Costa I think it's one thing to to look at Rafinha and go I'm probably not going to get my place back from him uh, it might be slightly different to look at Dan What's your take on on Harrison, Darren? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things that we just mentioned. I think that I, I do think the biggest factor is that he, he gets the ball out wide, he looks up into the box, and he's got the tiny Dan James not really making any runs uh, into useful spaces, being one being one of the problems. And I do probably think that um, James being signed is is a bit of a knock to him in terms of confidence. Um, I suspect that if he gets if something does come off for him, whether he manages to get an assist or maybe if Kasper Schmeichel doesn't do that great top-hand save um, from the right-footed shot yesterday, then then maybe maybe that, that picks him up a bit. I, I, I do suspect that he does need something to, to go right for him. But um, hopefully when, when Bamford's back, he can he can do the things that he does well, which is look up, whip a good cross in and, and you know, give, give Bamford a good chance to get on the end of it. Well, in a situation that is, should be surprising to no one, we are rapidly eating into time here, so I'm going to move <laughs> us on quickly. Let's jump into the listener questions. So a couple of linked ones. So firstly, Dan Holsworth says, are my eyes de- deceiving me or did Rodrigo actually press really well today? I think he's pressing better. I don't know if I'd say he pressed really well. I think he he did do it well, but I think he also was helped out by James and Harrison who did press like absolute beasts uh, and then also Forshaw coming up behind as well. And also the fact that I think his man was in DD uh, and he is pretty limited on the ball. Yeah, just one thing from me additional to that. I think um, the one thing that I did notice on the rewatch is that, it, that Rodrigo was able to keep his intensity right until the end of the game, which is not something that we've previously seen him being able to do before. So maybe there, is, there are some conditioning improvements there which are helping him out in, on that level, maybe. Yeah, I wonder how much the fact that they didn't hatch, have to press that much in the first half actually impacted that as well. Mm. Yep. And they didn't have a ball carrier from the back, yep. which is, yep. that's the Rodrigo kryptonite usually. Yeah. Um, well, they tried with Suenshu a couple of times, bless him, but didn't, didn't come <laughs> on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a cart horse just trotting out from the back. He got backward pressed by Dan James a few times yesterday, which is funny. Exactly. Yeah. Question from Jamie, which is an interesting one. So he says, assuming everyone stays fit and Bamford comes back, what would your starting midfield be? For me, Phillips and Forshaw would have to be in there and then it's a choice between Rodrigo and Click. I'm desperate to see the Click, Forshaw, Phillips midfield play for a bit again um i think i think if you use click as the more advanced of the midfielders or the one that's going to push up and support the attacking play more regularly i think that uses him to his best best skill set 
Um, and that's not to say that I don't think Rodrigo did fine. I think he, you know he did he did well yesterday. But but I'm I'm a big fan of Click. His his pressing and his intelligent movement and the way that he is able to knit things together in the attacking third in a similar way that Forshaw is able to do in the middle third. So that's what I'd like to see. I think in an ideal world, I'd say yes. But I also think Click started the season well and then went off a cliff. So I'm I'm not sure whether I think he is able to do it at the moment. I think a, a more sustained break is is still good for him. And I'm interested to see, I'm just interested to see how that um, that for sure uh, Rodrigo 8 thing works with, with Phillips behind it. it. It could be that that balance that kind of unlocks Rodrigo, but maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm doing that thing where I get really optimistic that finally is the moment that Rodrigo is <laughs> going to be the player we want him to be. <laughs> Just wait until we go into December. It's going to we'll hit December, and then we'll just get rinsed in midfield over and over again, and then we'll have to reassess this conversation. Yeah, and well, yeah, maybe, maybe that will happen. But I'm going to go with the optimistic version right now. For me, the interesting thing here is that how conditioned we've been by Bielsa now to just think, well, there has to be an ideal midfield. And I think the way that I would approach this is that there's certain games where Rodrigo in midfield works and there's certain games in midfield where uh, Click probably works better with the caveat that, as Josh has said, he has seemed to have suffered quite a bit from, um, well, it seems to be COVID really. He's not been the same since he caught COVID the second time again. Um, So yeah, I I guess my, my two cents here would be I'd quite like us to have options in midfield and approach a game and say, right, is this a game where we're going to be potentially overrun in midfield? Let's bring let's bring in Click. If it's going to be a game where we're maybe given a little bit more license to be um, transitional, then we play Rodrigo. Um, that's the way that I would approach it. Yeah, but we know that Bielsa doesn't really work like that. <laughs> Although I, d- I did notice that, I-, I don't know whether he did specifically think yesterday, this is the game to where we have to try for sure, because look at the midfield that they've got mm. because we can't allow Tielemans, uh And I mean, he, I think he probably thought Madison would play. I think, yeah, I think he probably thought that this is the game we have to finally bring him in. But I do agree he doesn't normally make changes like that. But I just don't think it was a coincidence that that's the time he finally took the gamble to start him. Final question. I've switched this over in the running order during the recording because we, we had a previous a question from Chris Kirk on Strout, but I think we've covered that. So I've added a question from Claudia Aravena, who says, would you consider James as the centre forward an upgrade compared to having Rodrigo there? His ridiculous pace and stamina was key in getting several of high turnovers caused throughout the game, something that was almost non-existent when Rodrigo played in that position. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about Patrick Bamford being the solution in that area, but we've not really talked about who would you prefer over those two. So yeah, where would you go with this one, Josh? I think probably yes, Although it would have been interested, interesting if we'd been able to see Gelhart in there at some point um, yesterday. Um, obviously, he wasn't fit, uh, and and I was quite interested in. It was late that Roberts came on, but I, th- I think he did think he did quite well. He offered a slightly different uh, outlet there, and there was that moment where there was the Amati handball where he was running off the back of of him. I think James is better than Rodrigo there in terms of out of possession stuff, but it is just he just offers no real target in the box, um, and that is a problem. Not that Rodrigo is a, is a major target in the box because of the way that he plays either, but <laughs> I just need I just need Pat. Just bring me Pat. <laughs> Get, bring him back. Someone go and fix him. Uh, yeah, he's an upgrade in terms of the pressing. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't offer anything else. <laughs> I mean, it's better not to. It's better not to. He can't kick it very hard, bless him. I guess my take on the, the Rodrigo pressing stuff is is sort of that, it, it, again, it's just too hasty to say this is Rodrigo fixed after we've just come off the back of a result against Norwich where our press was just not able to really touch their build-up play at all. Um, so I think so much of this just comes down to opposition. I know that I'm, I'm starting to sound a little bit like a broken record now, but um, there's certain oppositions where if we press well, we press. We, if, we, if we can press well, we will. Um, and, and there's certain oppositions where they're, they're just going to be good enough at moving us around that, that we're not going to be able to touch them. So yeah, I, I don't really... I, with Rodrigo's pressing, I'm just sort of resigned to the fact that we are playing Rodrigo whatever if he's fit. So, it like we can talk till like cows come home about how good or bad his pressing is. The the fact of the matter is that he's going to be there, and I, I suppose the the big question then is how do you how do you offset some of the negative parts of that um, with with other players, and and hopefully someone like Forshaw is going to, as Josh has said, make make some of a difference there. Right, let's move into the Statric Bamford section. Again, we, we seem to be getting gazomped by FB Ref at the moment because by the time we're recording, there's no uh, stats bomb data available. So we're, we're sort of having to scramble a little bit around the, the Twitter sphere. But Josh, again, you've managed to mine Jamie Kemp's Twitter account for some potential content. Yeah, useful. Useful that Jamie's posted some things in the last <laughs> two weeks. Um, So yeah, he... he uh, wrote this tweet promising performance uh, by Leeds recovering uh, some signs of what makes this team effective especially without the ball and here's the stat 13 high turnovers uh, recorded against Leicester and they've only made more in a Premier League game on one occasion under Bielsa which was the 15 versus Sheffield United in the home game last April and high turnovers uh, are Basically, we won the ball no more than 40 metres away from their goal, basically. Did that 13 times and twice that ended in a shot. And that doesn't feel great, does it? Like Only twice for it to end up in a shot doesn't seem like that's enough for me for the, for the areas we won the ball in. Uh, yeah, and I noticed that like of those high turnovers, none of them are really high. Um, they're, they're all outside the box, the, the line of the box anyway. Um, I'd be interested as well to see the timing on these because... It's my hunch that in the first half, we didn't really win the ball high up very much because n- neither team were particularly interested in... Well, I think Leeds probably were, but neither team was particularly interested in holding the ball at the back. Certainly Leicester were just sort of getting the ball to Johnny Evans usually and, and he was trying to hit those channels. Um, whereas obviously in the second half, when they started to try and possess the ball through the centre-backs, it just felt like they were a little bit more um, open. But maybe I'm wrong. You can clearly see on the graphic on Jamie's tweet where the one is where Rodrigo stole the ball from Ndidi. What is it? It's just sort of in a in a central area between basically the centre circle and and the the D on the edge of the box where he won the ball, played it off to James and Rodrigo ran towards the penalty spot. James maybe could have passed it back to him. I don't know whether Rodrigo would have had too many players around him really. But James just it was the one time he probably got any power on a shot. In, in the game and just um, lifted it over the bar with his with his left foot. Rodrigo was really not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, what's your takeaway from this, Darren? Any any thoughts on on the high turnover stuff? Yeah, I mean, I suppose like you said, it, it does look like it's more more like the top end of of our middle third rather than very high. Wouldn't you say that's when they're trying to pass? That's it out right. Then, yeah, rather than like they're not going to really be passing it out inside their box. No, no, that's right. So they're passing it into into our middle third, and then we're pressing them really, really intensely onto the midfield. That's kind of that's 
sort of what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think the main thing for me is is what I just said to, to Josh earlier is that that for 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 the positions that we've won the ball back in there. To, to only have two shots coming from that feels a bit disappointing to me because it feels like Leicester are not going to be in there. You know, th- there are opportunities to catch them really quickly in, de- in, in their defensive transition and counter press them really effectively, and and we've not a lot has come from it. So I, I would I would hope that that it's that kind of um, that decision making in the final third thing that seems to be bugging us this season uh, really seems to be indicated by that. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. It's been fun talking about things that aren't why are we bad for, for a change. So <laughs> I've enjoyed that. It's been fun to chat to, to the two of you. Um, in terms of the game preview, as I've mentioned, we're, we're going into an international break. We've got Spurs after the international break. So I think there'll be lots of interesting questions to to, to ask after that game. Obviously, Antonio Conte's only just gone in. Um, he will have had some time to work with the Spurs squad but then obviously a lot of his players will be off on international duty so um, there's no saying the extent to which he will be able to have any sort of impact on on, on the team um, so yeah that will be I think maybe a better judge of, of whether or not Leeds have turned things around to a certain extent whether or not they can make any inroads in that game um, we'll be back this week I think we're going to do a bonus podcast this week where we're going to think about how you might play with this squad if you were a more zonal manager um, which I think should be a fun fun podcast that'll be out on our Patreon feed so if, if you're interested in that head over to our Patreon which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and we will also have a couple of videos going up I'll be doing my usual tactics video although I haven't got a clue what I'm going to talk about as of yet um, and Josh will be doing a player focus video any ideas what you're going to be doing well I, it feels hard not to not to do for sure really doesn't it I think that would be in order yes so I suspect again it might be a situation where Josh gets the for sure video out out before I get my tactics video out so um, but we'll we'll work on that um, as, as, as and when things arrive so um, thank you both for coming on it's been great to have you both back feels like the early days this having having you two know. on it does yeah. been a while mm. anyway I will draw this to a close so thank you Josh cheers thank you Darren thank you and thank you all dear listeners Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 